We are It's More Than Just a Chant. We are inspirational creators, difference makers, world changers, and we are one community. Join alums Jared and Ross as they uncover stories of Penn Staters and their unique professional and personal journeys. We are Penn State, and this is Lion Legacy. All right, episode two of Lion Legacy, perfectly coinciding with the NFL playoffs and the lead up to Super Bowl. I don't even know what Super Bowl at number it is. 55. 55. All right, 55. That's LV for those that speak Roman numeral. <laughs> Jared, one of the, the production studios that we've always been a big fan of as sports fans is NFL Films. I love the old Super Bowl highlight videos, you know, that they run on ESPN2 leading up to Super Bowl morning. And more recently, uh, Hard Knocks. That's one show that you and I always uh, appreciate. Love Hard Knocks. And so it was a real privilege for you and I to be able to speak with Shannon Furman, who's a producer and director at NFL Films. Uh, we had a great conversation with her. She really gave us some behind the scenes on, on what goes on in some of the productions that she's done, not just Hard Knocks, which is, again, uh, we focus on it a little bit because it's a favorite of ours, but some other pro uh, football productions that she's done. And really, really, we, we dug into the weeds there on, on what goes into those great uh, efforts. All right, let's welcome Shannon Furman, Penn State graduating class of 2003, communications major, and someone who has many people's dream job as producer and director at NFL Films. We can't leave out winner of five, yes, five Emmy Awards. Welcome, Shannon. Thanks. It's actually seven. Oh, it's seven now. <laughs> yeah. Our sources are outdated. Okay. Penn State needs to update their information. <laughs> exactly. We got to go to the, the second hand then. So let's then jump right into this because it's probably the most important question here. Where do you keep those seven Emmys? They're in my family room, five of them. I started giving them away. Not giving them away, but I gave my parents my first one. And then actually my second one, the family that I stay with when I go to Penn State for the football games and stuff, and not just football games, I'll, I'll go visit them. We've become really good friends over the years. They have a beautiful home right outside of State College, and they are one of my biggest fans. So they have one of my Emmys in their Penn State basement. So they have the second one, and then the other ones are just kind of on the bookcases in my family room. That, that's when you know you have a lot of Emmys, when you start giving them away to people, right? Sure. Well, there's a funny story. They used to want me to bring an Emmy to the tailgate, and I hated doing that. I was like, this is embarrassing, and then people would want to take pictures with me. But they were so proud of me that I felt like bad saying no to them. So we came to a deal where I was like, if I just let you guys keep this one, can we never bring it to a tailgate ever again? Just keep it in your house, and you can tell <laughs> everyone about it, but we don't ever bring it to Beaver Stadium again. So that was kind of the deal we came up with. That's awesome. Love it. Well, congratulations. That's that's just such an amazing accomplishment. So, Shannon, you've been at NFL Films since 2004, which is right after your graduation from Penn State. How did you get such a cool job early in your career? How did you land that? I was a year out of college. Right as soon as we graduated, I took a job as a marketing representative at the Borgata in Atlantic City. Um, the casino hadn't even opened yet, so I was part of like, they call it like a charter member or whatever. And for the summer, it was fun. It was a bunch of kids that just graduated college. We were down at the Jersey Shore for the summer. 
And then people left and went back to school and the winter came and I was like, what am I doing here? Standing, handing out cards to senior citizens who are gambling. I didn't know where my life was going. So I ended up buying Final Cut Pro and a couple of video cameras and started just doing wedding videos on the side and high school highlight tapes. My brother played ice hockey at the time and my dad coached and I was taping their games and stuff. And my dad's like, yeah, I'll watch them and analyze them. He never did any of that. So I had all these videos and I made a highlight tape for the parents on the team. And one of the fathers, after I gave it out, was like, my best friend works at NFL Films. Do you want me to give him your resume? So I was like, yeah, that would be fantastic. And it was crazy because I think I gave him my resume and four days later, someone from films called me to schedule an interview. I thought it was a joke because it all just happened so quickly. I went in for an interview like the next week. And then after that, it took a little bit after that, but it was like a month later, I found out that I got the job. So Yeah, my uh, little production company didn't last very long, but that was kind of how I got my foot in the door at NFL Films. Okay, so once you joined NFL Films, walk me through your your career progression. How did you move your way up the ladder there? Yeah, I started as a production assistant was my official title. There were six of us who started together, and out of everyone, I was the only person who could actually edit, which is crazy to say in this day and age, because in this field, you wouldn't get a job if you didn't know how to edit right now. So right away, I was able to start like actually telling stories on shows. I wasn't just like researching and logging stuff. I was producing real segments. Um, My main responsibility that first year was a show called Under the Helmet. It aired on Fox. It was kind of like a kid's show on Saturday mornings. We did like music videos, fun sound segments. It only was on the air for my first two years at films and then moved on to other things. But yeah, kind of from there, I started directing after about a year. I remember asking them like how they would work me into that rotation. And they were like, oh, you know, we'll probably send you out like to shadow someone on a local shoot and start there. A week later, I was literally on a plane to L.A., to direct like two crews, do sit down interviews and a shoot at a golf course. And I was like, oh, (laughs) okay, here we go. (laughs) Roll you right in. (laughs) Yeah, they say that that's what it's like sink or swim. That's what'll make you good if you can figure it out. And from there I've been, I mean, my directing has probably really picked up since probably like, maybe like 2013. I started working on Hard Knocks in the field 2015 was my first year as the assistant director of Hard Knocks. I had edited on it back like in the first couple, like in two, with the Chiefs and the Cowboys and the Bengals. I got to do a little bit with the Jets since it was local. They sent me for three weeks in the field. So I was considered a field producer on the Jets one, which funny story is how I met Anthony Lynn. And it was his son Danton was on the team at the time. So every day I would like be like, well, how's practice going? I would ask him questions. And so We kind of stayed friends ever since then and had talked about the possibility of someday doing hard knocks. That's why this year was a little bit surreal for for us. We didn't think we'd be doing it with masks on, but, um, but yeah, so then come 2015, I was the AD for two years on the Texan, I'm sorry, three years, Texans, Rams, and Bucks. And then I took over as a director for Browns Raiders. And then this past year. You, you talk about directing. What does that truly mean when it comes to kind of reality TV? We always hear about it from a movie perspective, but now in this reality state of a hard knocks. With hard knocks, normally we would have a crew of about uh, 
40 people probably on location in a normal year. This year, since we had two separate teams, what we kind of did was we divided the crew into like, we told everyone we were operating at like 75% capacity on each side. So there was only 12 of us who were allowed to actually be on the field and within six feet of the players and stuff. So me and my two other directors like had to function as production assistants this year. We carried equipment. We took, we didn't take notes. We had, we figured out a way to have our PAs take the notes for us, but it was a very different year. So my responsibility is to manage the crew, manage the storylines that are taking place. I'm the direct contact with the team. I'm the one talking to Anthony Lynn every day. It's, it's different every day with reality TV, what we're doing when we do, when we are normally all together as a crew, and I co-direct the show with another, a man named Tim. And Tim takes on more of the logistical stuff. And I take on more of the creative stuff when we are together in the field. So this year I had to kind of do a little bit of both. I relied on my AD, a man named Pat Harris this year to kind of help me with some of the logistical stuff and some of the like scheduling Zoom meetings and things. You have to learn to delegate. Sometimes it's hard for me to let go of the control, but you, that's why those people were there because I trust them. Yeah, it's just, it's kind of a little different. There were days where they'd be like, come play golf with us, like when we would get done. And I'd be like, I can't, like, I can never shut my brain off when I'm at Hard Knocks because like something could happen any time of the day and we have to be ready to cover it. I never wanted to be more than five minutes from the hotel, which the hotel was the team's. We stayed at the team hotel this year. So we were like at home base all the time. So I just always wanted to be like in that circle because you just are afraid something. The second you leave it, that's when something crazy happens. Right. So speaking of uh, Shannon, speaking of hard knocks, you know, I know it's, that's a show that, that I look forward to every summer. I know Jared does it. We're just a, a huge fan of that whole uh, operation and just getting that behind the scenes view uh, that we as NFL fans normally wouldn't have. You've worked on the show for a number of years, as you mentioned, uh, as John Gruden likes to say, knock on wood, if you're with me, that was the one that, that I enjoyed. And there's just such an allure there to get that view that we would never see otherwise. There's so much great content each week. And you kind of mentioned that you don't necessarily, I think you mentioned earlier, you don't necessarily have um, kind of the final say as to what uh, ends up on the airing as opposed to what ends up on the cutting room floor. Can you walk us through how that works? Yeah, they say that we shoot about 400 hours worth of content for every hour of show that goes on the air, of every hour of video that goes on the air. So, I mean, just in a normal day at practice and like, this year aside, because it's a little different this year, but in a normal day, we would have 30 hours of practice footage because we'd have like anywhere from eight to 12 people mic'd at practice. So just there, you're talking about a ton of footage. Yeah, it's, it is kind of like you try to work together and stuff like this year, I was very passionate about wanting to get like Keenan Allen and Chris Harris's story into hard knocks. And sometimes like things with veterans like don't play out at camp. Like we had talked about this going into it. Like these guys like went against each other for years, like division rivals. We have wires of them against each other. But then like when you get into practice, are they really going to be going hard? Is it going to have a payoff? What are we going to be able to do here? And I think some people at home didn't, didn't really think like there would be a payoff to that in a training camp practice. But fortunately, Chris and Keenan were willing to be mic'd every single day if I wanted to mic them every single day. Awesome. Uh, we, we didn't do that to them, but they did wear mics like two to three times a week. So we were able to kind of like work together with people at home to get that into the show. Derwin James is a guy I would have liked to have gotten in the show more this year. And if I was at home, like I would have been putting more of him in, but 
their home. They are putting things together for a reason. So we all have to kind of trust each other. We give them ideas. They give us ideas. We try and we do our best to work together and come up with what we think is the best show possible. Excellent. And then, so here's a question that I'd love to know is if you could go back in time and you could pick any NFL team, coach, whatever you want to have been there to, to film a season of hard knocks or all or nothing, who would you choose? That's tough. Um, <laughs> I mean, of course it would have been, I grew up an Eagles fan. So go birds. And I, I say grew up an Eagles fan. I don't know. They're a little tough, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I spent the season with the Cowboys the year that they won the Super Bowl, and I was doing all or nothing with the Cowboys. And I felt like I didn't even know what was going on. Like the Eagles were having the best year ever. And I was with the arch rival. And I remember seeing Mike Grow, who was our offensive, co- was the Eagles offensive coordinator at the time. And he was the, or actually he might've been wide receiver coach that, that year, but he was a wide receiver coach with the Rams when we did hard knocks there and all or nothing. And he saw me on the field in Dallas and he was like, no. And he, he knew I was an Eagles fan. Like, <laughs> but like seeing me, he knew that, that meant that the Cowboys were all or nothing. And I was like, what? <laughs> what? I could be here for something else. And he was, oh my God, who are you cheering for today, Shannon? And I was like, I win either way. And he's, oh, you can't say that. So I think being with the Eagles for all or nothing that year would have been amazing or even hard knocks with them, like following that would have been really cool. I will say for me, I don't know that anything will ever top my first year on Hard Knocks. I have become the producer who had worked with the Texans like all the time. So, and that was even before Bill O'Brien. I was kind of there the day Mr. McNair decided, like when him and Rick Smith decided that Bill O'Brien was going to be their guy and he was our guy. And I was like, you guys can't do this to me. (laughs) And um, Pick someone else. Yeah, like I was like on the plane with them week 17 to Tennessee and stuff like that. And they're taking phone calls and I'm like, I know what's happening right now. And I can't tell anyone about it. I may have called my dad afterwards, but (laughs) um, I just, it was kind of crazy. And Rick Smith still jokes with me. I owe you dinner because I was like, don't take my coach. And he was like, oh, I'll buy you dinner. And I was like, I don't want your stupid dinner. I want my coach to stay at Penn State. So then two years later, having it be my first year at Hard Knocks. And then Bill was the coach of the Texans. And one of my best friends was the PR director for the Texans. That year was probably, I mean, I didn't know it at the time because it was my first one. But looking back at it, that show is still my favorite one that we've done. Like the characters we found on that team and just the way everything played out for us. It's probably one of my favorite things I've ever done at films. It's been cool to see this rise of storytelling over the years, right? And, you know, going beyond the game itself, getting to know the players off the field. You've been a a huge part of creating this content for everyone. Has there been a story that's impacted you the most over these years? I know that's also a tough question, probably. It is. There's probably a couple of things. I'll say like last year, last year, yeah, the Raiders hard knocks. It was very important for me to tell Darren Waller's story for personal reasons and friends I've had in my life that have had struggled with addiction. When I found out about Darren's story going into it, I I didn't know how open he'd be towards it. I just knew kind of the basics of what it was from reading some articles. So I made it a point to introduce myself to him like the second day of camp, just so he knew who I was and we could start talking from there just to even see how he would 
feel about it, but I wanted to get to know him as a person before I just jumped right in and asked if we could tell this crazy story. So that was really important to me that we were able to do it in the way we were able to do it, I think was just really special. And he's a special person like that he is willing to talk about it so openly because I think it really helps a lot of people. Um, Another thing that I did was I did Brandon Marshall's football life in 2013. It started as a feature, like it was just supposed to be a feature on Brandon and coping with like mental health and stuff. And once we like dove into it, we realized there was like so much more there. And Brandon is so good on television. And then just like fun pieces. I love doing high school football stuff. I was with a high school team from Lakewood, New Jersey for an entire season. The guy, the coach was actually friends with Joe Paterno. He, he just passed away last year, I believe. His name was Warren Wolf. He's the winningest coach in the history of New Jersey high school football. And I remember it wasn't my idea. They came to me and they wanted me to direct it. And I would go to these games every Saturday and these kids would be like, they'd be winning. And then at halftime, it would just like fall apart. They basically had 12 kids that played both ways on the football team. And they'd be playing against these like bigger schools that they would just be tired and like done. But the story was that Warren Wolf was the head coach at Brick High School in New Jersey, won all these games. Then he retired because he was like 84, I think, something crazy. Wow. And then, yeah, came at, was bored, came out of retirement at like 85 years old to coach these kids in Lakewood. And that was the goal to get them a win. It wasn't like a winning season. It was to get them one win because the seniors on the team had never won a game. So wow. they were like 0-36, and, and I'm going to these practices and these games every week, and I'm kind of like, are they going to win? Their defensive coordinator was like, if we win, who their defensive coordinator was a player he played in the league. This is the high school J.R. Smith went to. They have some real athletes in this high school. He was like, if we win, it'll be our second-to-last game against Central, and he kind of told me all about it, and, I mean, he was right. The week before, they lost on a fourth down play. I remember having a, my camera person with me wasn't really a football shooter, we were like, oh, whatever, it's fine. They're not going to win. We'll just get ISO shots, things like that. And then, like, when the game was close, I was like, you have to try and follow the ball. Like, we had, like, figure it out. I don't know, figure out how to shoot football today. <laughs> but then they lost, like, on the last play of the game, and I was kind of relieved <laughs> because we weren't really prepared for it after the whole season. The next week played out like a Disney story that you had planned. And right down to the coach had a dog with three legs and one eye missing. I mean, you can't write this stuff. If I wrote it, you wouldn't believe it. I like showed up at his house and was like, what in the heck is going on here? It was all real. And he told me he knew Joe Paterno. He gave out sticks of gum to all the kids on the field pregame. I love doing high school football pieces because they like truly appreciate you being there. And it just takes you back to that time in your life. So um, that those are probably three of my top three things I think I've ever done. Well, thank you for that story. I would definitely have to check that out. Um, I'm going to shift a little bit. You worked in a sport that is male dominated from the players to the coaches on air, some of the on air talent as a female, you've ha obviously had incredible success. I imagine you've also had some challenges along the way. I'm a father to a young daughter. And so I'd be curious to know what's your message to young women who are aspiring to have a career in sports? Just work hard. I think hard work is the biggest thing. Like I get that question a lot about being a woman in football and stuff. I actually just did a webinar like last week where like Chris Carter was the moderator and there was three women who worked for the league. And when I'm directing and I'm in the field doing stuff, I don't ever feel like, oh, I'm the only woman out here. I'm with a bunch of men. Like it, it doesn't ever feel like that. I think my biggest message would probably be to speak up. It's more when I'm at home, I'm in the office at home that I want to be included 
in some of the bigger type meetings and the bigger decisions that are being made back in the actual office. And I think I like watched my mom was held a pretty high job. She was a manager of a supermarket, which back in the 80s, women didn't necessarily do that. In the 80s, it sounds like I'm talking about like 1950. <laughs> but um, she always says that, that she was the only one and she wishes she spoke up more. So I really do try to speak up and make sure that my opinions are heard and stuff so that I, I get the respect I think that I deserve. But it's more, like I said, it's more of a challenge for me in my own office than it is in the field. Sometimes I think... A lot of the players are raised by single mothers, and I think sometimes they relate to women better. So I think it's an advantage to me sometimes when I'm out in the field trying to tell stories. It's so the best advice I can give would just be to work hard and speak up and stand up for yourself. Great advice there. Great advice. So we're going to switch gears and we're going to put you in the lion's den, which, as you can imagine, is a segment dedicated to everything Penn State. Okay. All right. So Shannon, first question, how has Penn State prepared you for your career and your life? I mean, Bob Martin is the Dean in the College of Communications and he has been awesome for me from the time I was at Penn State till he is still a good friend now. And when I go up to Penn State, I will sit in his office for hours and talk still. Just the amount of opportunities Penn State offers people and the way it's even how much it's increased since we were in school there is crazy. The kids I mentor out of Penn State now, like the opportunities that they have and the things that they can do outside of the classroom is that you really need to take advantage of that there. The networking system after Penn State, too, is huge. Like, we're crazy. And you find Penn Staters no matter where you go in this country. And I can tell you right now, I mean, you guys said you emailed me about this podcast. To be honest with you, I didn't read much about it. I just knew you were from Penn State. So I was, I'm going to do it. I will do anything for Penn Staters. So when I get resumes from kids from Penn State, I'll look at those first. If you're not from Penn State, I might not read your resume unless there's something really clever in the first two sentences. So Penn State has been awesome in my life. It's that power of Penn State. Got to love it. Got to love it. When you look back, was there a favorite class along the way? Oh my God, that's a hard question. I haven't thought about college in so many years. It was probably, honestly, my, I don't even think it was called a COM 465. And I took it my, I don't think my, I don't know if my mom ever told my dad, but I could have graduated in December of my senior year and not done the spring semester. But why would you do that? (laughs) Well, yeah, I was like all over the place. I still, even though I was in communications, I had changed my major a couple of times in communications. I started in film and video I took the intro film class and we had to make all these artsy, like fictional films. And I was like, this is not for me. This is not what I want to do. So then I switched to PR and I missed production when I was doing PR. I just, I wanted to edit. I wanted to tell stories again. So then I think my junior year, I was like, I'm going to go the journalism route, but I'll do broadcast journalism so I can do some editing again. But as you guys know, I don't know, like I, there was not that many classes actually in my major. It's more like elective. So it's what you do outside of the classroom. But because I had an internship, I didn't even need to take the advanced journalism class. I think that's what it was considered where we put on a weekly newscast from the, I don't, they do it. It's like center, center times now. It's it's something much more sophisticated now than when I was there. So I took that class. I took 20 credits that semester that I didn't even have to go to school, but I was all over the place. I took a sales class. I took another PR class just to make sure. And I took this class and it was a lot of fun. And it was kind of what made me realize that's what I wanted to do. So 
that's probably my, if it's not my favorite class, it definitely had the biggest impact on me because it made me realize that I wanted to tell stories again. And and now if your dad's listening to this, he will know that you spent his money on an extra semester at Penn State. He'll be okay with it. <laughs> All right, so we're going to make you think back to college once more. What was your favorite memory outside of the classroom? It has to be a game. Well, I was probably, because I think it's still my favorite game, was the Penn State-Nebraska game um, my senior year when we all, I think the week before, we had just barely beat Central Florida or someone, and it was a nighttime game and we're like, whatever. We're not like Nebraska was ranked like fifth or something. I don't think we were ranked. We just thought it was going to be terrible. <laughs> and we won like 40 to seven. I don't, am I, I, I yeah, somewhere like spot that. On. Like, okay. Yeah. And I just remember we sat in the parking lot. Our friend's parents had gotten an RV and we were out there till probably four o'clock in the morning with like dust flying around the parking lot and everybody just like so happy and, we, I guess we had just like wanted that for so long. Probably that and also beating North Carolina to go to the Sweet 16 in basketball was pretty cool too. Surreal to think about it now, but I just, I remember being in the dorm room. I like had my dad on the phone with me and like then just like pots and pans around campus. But yeah, those were probably the two highlights of my four years there. I, I would say those were our highlights as well. That, <laughs> that stadium was electric that night. I mean, it, it, I still say again, because maybe we were in the student section, people will be like, oh, no, the Ohio State game in 2005. We did not stop screaming. I had no voice. Like it was, I, I don't know. I just, it, to me, it was the loudest I've ever heard that stadium still. But again, it was because I was in the student section then. And now I have to sit with the alumni. <laughs> <laughs> we're in the same boat as you. We yeah. hear you. We hear you. <laughs> so if you could look back at 18-year-old freshman Shannon, what advice would you give her? Um, I mean, I think she did pretty well. <laughs> I would say so, yes. But yeah, I would probably get involved outside of the classroom even earlier than I did, especially with what's available at Penn State now. If I started my sophomore year or junior year working with Jim Knockman, I started working with intercollegiate athletics, I think it was my junior year, but I would definitely get started doing that stuff as soon as possible. It's not too early to start building your resume, especially in this day and age with everybody doing things on their own. Just take advantage of things outside the classroom. So I would tell younger Shannon to do that from the beginning. And so seeking more advice, if you were to come across a high school senior that was interested in possibly attending Penn State, what's your pitch to him or her as to why they should go there? I mean, if you want a job when you're coming out of college, you're not going to get a better alumni network than that. You can't beat it. Definitely, definitely agree on that one for sure. I know you said you've you've go back quite often to, to speak with uh, students and in some classrooms. When was the uh, last time you were actually back on campus? I went this summer just to stay with my friends and it was crazy because we walked campus and there was no one. It was, I've never Goes seen down, huh? like that. Yeah. Cause I knew we probably weren't going to have a football season before hard knocks. I drove up for a weekend, but I obviously wasn't speaking to students then before that. I'm trying to think if I, I don't think I went last year as like to speak, like I went to, I have season tickets. So I try to get to two or three games a year. You're really on the road all the time then. 
I, I am. I am. Excellent. And then lastly, you mentioned a little bit earlier about networking and about mentorships. Tell us a little bit more about what you do to stay connected to the university. Yeah, like I just said, Mike Borman is a professor at Penn State. I should know the exact title of his class, but I know what the, he does is he brings in a lot of professionals in the in this industry, in the sports industry, in the media industry to speak to his class, whether they be an agent, a writer, from all different kinds of areas. And it's, it's definitely, it's a sports class, I think his one is. So it's more t- uh, targeted towards athletics. But he can usually put me in touch with students. I like to... And I don't know if this is the right thing to do, but like the approach I take more is I probably, I choose one or two people so I can really focus and help those individuals instead of just mentoring everyone who sends me an email. I do try to get back to all the students who email me and at least respond to them. But I would say every four years, I have a student or two that I really like bond with or something and try to keep in touch and make myself available to give them advice and just be more hands-on. So that's kind of the approach I've taken since I started. That's great. Just love your entire story. One, everything that you've accomplished, but then two, you're just giving heart and always willing to give back to Penn State. So thank you on behalf of of current students, I would say, but also alumni as well. And, you know, Ross and I have been a big fan of a lot of the work that you've done over the years. And now to finally speak to you has been a true honor of ours. So thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we are. Penn State. Lion Legacy is a Baruda production. If you enjoy this Labor of Love podcast, we'd certainly appreciate it if you would subscribe and write us a review on your favorite podcast platform. 